I met somebody last week who had heard about the church. I met them on the phone. Dave right here. Dave's 80 years old. One of the things he told me when he was asking questions about the church, it really stuck with me and I loved it. He said, you know what? I love the preaching of God's Word, but at 80 years old, I'm not really interested in just sermon sampling for the rest of my life. He said, I want God to use me up till the finish line. There is no retirement in the spiritual life. Amen? And then he told me his life verse. Psalm 71, 17, and 18 from the New American Standard. He said, Oh God, You have taught me from my youth, and I still declare Your wondrous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare Your strength to this generation. Your power to all who are to come. I love that. His desire to pass on and remind the generations after Him of the truth to run to the finish line. And I share that because I believe that's the Apostle Peter's heart in this letter of 2 Peter that we're studying. His, his desire to build up the believers. He wants to do it till the very end to build them up. He wants to leave a legacy that points to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. To 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to see it for yourself in God's Word. Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Now, some of you have heard this before. When you come to a therefore in Scripture, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask what it's Therefore, yeah, what does that point back to? This is a connecting word. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. You'll remember last week, he told us as believers in Jesus, you partake in the divine nature. You become a new creation in Christ. He comes to live in you. You have His power, His promises. And we are to actively cooperate by faith with the Holy Spirit by adding certain qualities to our life. Virtue, godliness, Self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection, love. I intend always to remind you of them, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He's saying, I know you know these things. I know you've heard them. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. How many of you would admit with me that as a human being in this world, you need reminding sometimes? I do. Some groups and people out there are really good at it. I thought about this this week. Regardless of how you feel about their mandates and recommendations, you know who's really good about reminding? The CDC. (laughs) It's everywhere, right? They don't just say something once. It's here. It's there. It's at the store. It's on the internet. It's everywhere. If you have kids that have chores to do, you know the importance of Reminding, right? If you are a kid with chores to do, you probably get those reminders from your your parents. Peter says, I I think it right as long as I'm in in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 13, that same verb for stir up was used of the Sea of Galilee when a a storm would come on it and the the waves would get stirred up. He's, He's trying to challenge people from complacency to urgency, from inactivity to activity. 
I think about what he said last week in verse 9. He said, if you don't have these qualities in your life and you're not increasing in them, you have forgotten that your sins have been cleansed. Right? And he's trying to stir up that reminder. But you think about that. Do you think he's just talking about remembering up here that Jesus died on the cross? No, I bet you if I ask, how many of you know up here that Jesus died on the cross? We'd all raise our hands, right? What is he getting after? He's getting after the distance between here and here, right? Because as humans, we have this amazing ability to know something up here, but fail to evaluate our everyday living, breathing life against that truth. I know Jesus died, but how does that affect my Monday at work? I know Jesus died, but do I really live in an awareness of this amazing, unending grace that I walk in? I know Jesus died, but do I walk and live in such a way? Do I use my mouth and my hands and my feet in such a way that reflect that I know that because of that, because of what He's done, I am to live a, a holy life in this world. Because I, I think the last thing Peter's interested in is giving them a quiz and seeing if they can answer all the questions, right? That's part of the deal. But the Christian life is more than Bible trivia. You know that, right? It's got to go beyond Bible trivia to Bible livia, right? He, he wants it to transform. The way we think, the way we pray, the way we talk, the way we, we walk. He wants to stir them up. It's important to take time to evaluate. Does it line up? Why is he so urgent? Verse 14. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He may be referring back to John 21. You remember the resurrected Jesus met Peter on the beach and as he restored him in his mission to feed the flock of God and tend them, he told them, one day your hands are going to be stretched out, Peter. And you're going to be led somewhere you do not want to go. And then Jesus said, follow me. And Peter did follow him to the very end. Many believe shortly after this letter, he was crucified at the hands of Nero. Somehow he sensed that time was coming near. Maybe Jesus gave him another vision. Then it's coming soon, Peter. Or maybe he just took Jesus' promise from John 21 and looked at everything going on in Rome that Nero and the empire were turning against Christians. And he said, boy, it's coming soon. So I've got to tell these people some stuff. I've got to get it out to them. This urgency. When he says the putting off of my body, putting off is used of changing old clothes. It's a Greek verb. The word body there can be translated tent. In fact, some translations translate it that way. What he's getting at is the temporary nature of life in this world. We tend to think this world is all there is. Peter's saying, uh-uh. We are in a tent right now. I got my eyes. I'm going on this pilgrim journey, but, but I'm heading for the, the permanent promised land. I'm just passing through and that affects how we live when we believe that. It affects what we pass on to those around us. When we believe that, you know what? We don't want to over-focus on temporary things. 
I say over-focus because some focus is required, right? There's things we got to take care of in this world just because we live here, but we don't want to over-focus on temporary things, things that won't last. You say, what's going to last forever? God is going to last forever. His Word is going to last forever. And people created in the image of God are going to last forever. Everything else here is going to burn. As Peter tells us in chapter 3, that should affect the way we live. Kenneth Boa wrote a great book called Conform to His Image. Twelve facets of the spiritual life. I'd, I'd recommend it with an asterisk. I'm only through chapter 4, so I can't talk about the beyond chapter 4. But one thing he said this week, he said, when you're staying in a hotel room for three days, five days, a week, nobody in their right mind gets in there and says, I don't like this comforter here, and I don't like the wall color. I'm going to Bed Bath & Beyond to get some new bed decorations. I'm going to Sherwin-Williams to get some new paint and fix this wall up. Why? Because you know it's only temporary. That's not your home. Right? He used that as an illustration to say, don't do that in this world. Don't get so over-focused on things that won't last that you forget about where you're heading. You forget about God, His Word, and the people around you. Live with that in mind. That's how he's living. Verse 15, he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Any teachers in this room? You familiar with the phrase overlearn? Yes, they're nodding their head. Teachers want their students to overlearn things. The students might get tired of hearing them, but they want them to be able to recall those things at any time. That's what Peter wants for believers. You may get sick of hearing the same things, but I want you to know them so that you can recall them and live them at any time. That's his hope as he looks at the end of his life. In our culture, sometimes we think it's morbid to think about death. But when you read the wisdom literature in the Bible, you see it's actually a very wise thing to do. Solomon, I believe, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And one thing he said in there, he said it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. First time I read that verse, I was like, man, Solomon's weird. <laughs> like, is he some kind of sicko, some kind of sadist that just enjoys funerals more than parties? But when you read it in the context of the book, what is he saying? He's saying that because when you sit at a funeral, you've probably been there. You have this moment where you realize my life on this planet is not forever. And i got to think about what really matters. Have I come to Jesus as my Savior? Am I living for Him? Am I loving the people around me and telling them about Him. He said that because it's moments like that that make us think about what really matters. That's what Peter's thinking about. And I want to ask you a question. Peter knew his time was coming soon. None of us know when our time is coming. None of us is promised tomorrow. Right? Every one of our days is written in his book before one of them came to be, but we don't get to glimpse that book. So what is it you want the people around you to recall when they think of your life and your time with them. Stu Weber 
one of my favorite authors for men. He wrote a book called Tender Warrior. And he talked about when you're parenting, when you're getting ready to have that first baby, he said it's a, it's a good thing to write down what you hope to see that child be when they're 18, 20, when they leave your home. He, he called it making your bullseye. He said, do that early. And that way, as you go through the next 18, 20 years, you can focus on, all right, how are we going to get there? This is what we're after. What does that look like? If we didn't do it at the beginning, it's never too late to start. Do it, do it today. But it's not just with actual blood, blood children, right? God brings all kinds of people in our paths that we have the privilege of leading, discipling folks that are maybe newer in the journey with Christ than you are. What is it you want to, them to recall? Think about that. Peter goes on to show them that their, their faith is based on a couple very important things. The, the faith that they have, these early churches in our faith, is based on real historical events and it's based on the revelation of God to and through the authors of Scripture. I want to start with the real historical events. He's going to tell them something he experienced firsthand. Verse 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see something next week as Pastor Paul comes up here and preaches. Chapter 2, we're going to find out there were false teachers then as there are today that were spreading cleverly devised myths and possibly even accusing Peter and the other apostles that what they were sharing were myths. That stuff about the resurrection, that stuff about the miracles. Peter says, no, it's not cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He's saying, I saw this with my own eyes. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. Not only did I see it, church, he's saying, I heard it. I heard a voice from heaven. It said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. Who knows what? event in Jesus' earthly life he's talking about. The transfiguration. The transfiguration. For those of you who may not be as familiar, I want you to close your eyes and, and imagine this. I'm going to read to you from the Gospels. Close your eyes and imagine being part of this. Peter, James, and John. Go up a mountain with Jesus. So after six days, Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. 
If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Can you imagine? I mean, up to that point, these guys had seen Jesus do some miracles, and they had heard Him talk about who He was, but this was the first time they got this kind of glimpse into His glory through His humanity. They saw His face shine like the sun. One translation talks about dazzling, one of the Gospels, which, which has the idea of snow when the sun shines on it. Have you ever looked at that, how bright it is? One talks about lightning. The brightness of lightning. And they, they saw this. His holiness and majesty. They got a glimpse of His Godhood. Then they heard the voice on top of it from, from heaven, from the cloud. This is My Son with whom I am well pleased, which tied all the way back to Psalm chapter 2. If you go back and read it, it's an Old Testament passage about the Father proclaiming His authentication upon His Son as the King. Right? They're putting it all together. Moses and Elijah show up on top of it. And I think about Moses. Like Moses got a glimpse of the glory of God in the Old Testament, right? So much so that his face was glowing afterwards as a reflection of it. And there had to be coverings when he talked to the people. Now he sees it again on the face of Jesus. And <laughs> I'm weird, but I'm thinking Moses at some point is going to be like, can somebody get a pair of sunglasses around here? <laughs> He, this is the second time and he realized something. I'm sure he knew it already that while when his face glowed during his earthly sojourn, it was a reflection. This was not a reflection coming from Jesus. It came from who he was, who he is as God in flesh. You got Elijah there too. Moses and Elijah. What do they represent? Moses gave the law. Elijah was one of the premier prophets. You got the law and the prophets pointing to the Messiah, just as the Bible says they do. Here he is, and then the voice comes not to them, but to the Son. But to really understand this event in Peter's life, what it meant to him, you got to look at what happened just before. We've said before, all Scripture comes in a context. You know what had happened shortly before this? Matthew 16 16, Jesus asked the guys, who do, who do people say that I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter was the one that stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. God revealed to Peter who Jesus was. But it didn't end there, if you remember, later on in Matthew 16. After that moment, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus goes on to tell them, the Son of Man must suffer Many things. Let's go to Jerusalem. Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and, and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So there's six verses after Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember what happened? 
Peter's wrestling. Okay, we just figured out you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and now you're telling us you're going to die? He's wrestling with this. How does this go together? Because for you and I, we get it looking back. The cross has been glorified in our minds because we know who died on it, right? But in that day, think electric chair. Think lethal injection. Okay, it wasn't a noble thing in the disciples' minds. They're wrestling. How can you be God and go to a place where criminals die? So verse 22, Peter takes him aside and started to rebuke Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow, you're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then just a couple verses later, these disciples who are wrestling through this, Jesus says in verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now fast forward to the transfiguration, which it said six days later, right? This is where they get that glimpse. And for Peter, this is where he put all the pieces together. Because in Luke 9.31, Luke tells us that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were up there talking. Can you imagine listening into that conversation? And it says they were talking about Jesus' upcoming departure. And I was thinking about, if there's ever three guys in history who had unusual departures to talk about, it's these three, right? Like Moses, you remember he died and he was buried by God Himself. And Elijah, he goes up in a chariot. But now they're talking about Jesus' upcoming departure. Through a cross, to a resurrection, to an ascension back to glory. But the word that Luke uses for departure, you know what it is in the Greek? Exodus. Exodus. You think about the the tie-ins here. Old Testament Exodus. God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery to the promised land. And here in the New Testament, we see the Savior. Leading a new exodus. Leading people out of slavery to sin. By faith in Him to the, to the promised land. And what's interesting, when Jesus used that word, it's unusual. It's the same word Peter used for himself when he talked about his time being short in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's Peter finally got the connection. Says the Son of God, and he did have to go through death, but you know what? It led to resurrection and glory. And that finally gave Peter confidence after looking back, saying, that's the same path I'm on, following in my Savior's footsteps in my exodus. Do you have that confidence? Have you come to Christ in faith, to where you know you're following in His footsteps? Bottom line, he's saying, guys, this is not made up. I saw it. I heard it. And as one man said, the Christian faith is historically stubborn. The more people look into it and start digging, whether it's archaeology or manuscripts, the more those with open eyes to see it realize, wow, they were telling the truth. If you want to explore that some more yourself or you got somebody wrestling with that, a good small book to start with, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. 
Walks people through all that. The, the Christian faith is historically stubborn. You don't have to know all the details. You don't have to memorize them all, but that's a great book to start. And if you like it, read the bibliography and go further. Real events in history. And finally, the revelation of God through men into this book. Verse 19, he says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Why is it more fully confirmed? He's looking back at guys like Jeremiah and Isaiah that he knew well as a Jewish, Jewish lad. And he's saying, they're more fully confirmed because not only did I read them in God's Word, I, I was there on the mountain and I heard the voice from God Himself confirm it. You put those two things together. Wow, what a, what a foundation. More fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What does Psalm 119, 105 say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You look around, we're living in a dark world. The, the word for dark place here means murky. Almost like a murky swamp where you can't see anything through the water. Ever feel that way out here? Peter's saying you want a light. Here it is. Here it is. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What day is that? The day of Christ. His second coming. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Morning star. I believe that's another reference to Jesus. Numbers 24-17 said that a star would come out of one of the tribes of Israel. Luke 1.78 spoke of Jesus as the, the sunrise. So he's saying, hey, hang on to your lamp. But one day, the morning star will be here to confirm it all. He goes on, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's saying this is not man's invention. When he says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that's a cool verb. Any, anybody like to sail in here? We're in Arizona. Yeah, that was kind of a long shot. I'm not a big fan. Shortly after we got married, I was at a family camp with Carolyn and my family. and I thought, yeah, Let's go out on a sailboat. <laughs> We got stranded. You know, a new husband trying to impress his new wife had to get towed in by a speedboat. So, I'm not a sailor. But, but the verb Peter uses here was used in Acts as he talks about sailing voyages. Carried along. It's as though these, these prophets put up their sails in obedience and willingness to hear from God. And He filled their sails, moved them along, and they wrote down exactly what He wanted them to write. Using their personality, using their situation, using where they live. But the very Word of God came through these men. And we have it all right here. Last night I was thinking about this. I was actually laying in bed just Saturday night. A lot of times before I go to sleep, I just pray, Lord, help this all come together as You want it to. And I'm, I'm laying there and the closet doors open. 
I can see in the closet. And there's a box on the top shelf with some of Carolyn's candles and stuff. And on the box, we don't know why it's there, but it says 220. In my mind, I've read that, and I raced back to Ephesians 2.20, which I had read earlier in the week. Ephesians 2.20 says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'm like, that's the summary right there. Peter just told us both of those. He's showing us how it's founded on the apostles as he tells us what he saw on the mountain. He's showing us how it's founded on the prophets as their word was confirmed by what he saw. It's all here. And we love the whole Bible in this church. Daniel and I were talking about this last week. And we talked with the elders about it too. Lord willing, after 2 Peter, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. But then after that, we're talking about going through some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. You know that section where Joel and Amos and Zechariah. And I know some of you hear that and you're like, whoa, I have, Really? <laughs> Really? Like some of us view the minor prophets like kind of like digging through the couch cushions. You never know what kind of crazy stuff you're going to find in there. You know, you might find a fuzzball or an old candy wrapper. But you know what else I found when you dig through the couch cushions? Sometimes you find some quarters. <laughs> right? And, and beyond quarters, there's some gold nuggets in here. So all of God's Word is inspired. It's connected we're excited about that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Friday at our men's group, Bill brought up this, this early church that Peter's writing to. They didn't have this completed in their hand, right? And sometimes we think how, how cool it would have been to live back there, but sometimes I think if we were to talk to them, they'd say, hold on a second. You got all the apostles and prophets sitting on a shelf in your room. Don't take that for granted. You have it very good. You have them all there. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Are we taking advantage of it? Now, when we talk about reminding and the importance of it, I thought this would be a good Sunday to remind the church of some things. Back in February, how many of you were here in February? We've seen a lot of uh, coming and going this year with covid we, we had a vision series at the church next door, right? And I, and I thought, you know, a lot of these folks weren't there. And even for those of us who were there, as Peter says, it's good to be reminded, <laughs> right? So I want to walk you through a couple things. What, what do we believe God has called us to at the church next door? First, I want to start with the name. The church next door. You've probably had people ask you, what's up with that name? Next door to what? <laughs> right? Some people even say the church next door, S-T-O-R-E. I don't know how you go there. But the church next door, what's it mean? It means that when you're in your neighborhood and you're part of the, the church, you're, you're saved, you're, you're part of this fellowship, you may be the only part of the church your neighborhood ever sees. And you're part of the church, not just when you're here on Sunday, that's seven days a week. So, so what are they seeing? When, when they see our lives, hopefully we're, we're pointing them towards Jesus because we are literally part of the, the church next door. We want to have that mindset. Talk about our vision statement. Live a full life in Jesus. That comes from John 10, right? Jesus said He came that we might have life 
to the full. Not just have life, but have life abundantly, right? In Christ. And bring others along for the ride. That goes to His great commission in Matthew 28, right? What did He tell us? To go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's not just about my full life in Jesus, not just about yours, it's about bringing others along for the ride. But it's easy to read a phrase like that and say, okay, well, what's a full life? What is a full life in Jesus? So we summed it up with three spheres that Jaden's going to put up here. A full life in Jesus, you, you have to live in all three of these. The top one is communion with God. That's that relationship with God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay, the second one, community with people. That's the church. Whether it's here on Sunday morning or at a midweek group or as we just live life together out there. We need the church and commission to the world. That's when we as a church realize, and as individuals, that it's not just about me, it's not just about us, it's about us going out there and telling others about Jesus as we have opportunity. And then we put out a bunch of questions. If you remember, how many of you remember that little card we put out? (laughs) This is why we remind. That was seven months ago, and we've had a lot going on since then, right? We put out some questions and we encourage you to put them on your bathroom mirror next to your bed. I'm not going to ask how many did that. <laughs> but here are some things when you turn those into verb form, communion with God, worship with us, community with people, walk with us, commission to the world, work with us. So here were some questions we, we thought, man, wouldn't it be great for a, a whole church of people to have these on their mind? Communion with God. Worship with us. I know those are small, so I'll read them. How close would I say I am to God the Father right now? Why? I mean, is there any unconfessed sin that, that where I put up a wall or am I walking in obedience and listening to Him? Is Jesus a Sunday thing for me? Like I just go to church and then I do my own thing? Or am I walking with Him by the Spirit daily? That one is the key to it all. Listen, you can go to church and not have a relationship with God. you got to come by faith to Jesus. It's a relationship. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How would I rate my prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10? Why? How would I rate my time in the Bible on a scale of 1 to 10? Why? What is God teaching me in my life right now? What, what if we kept those in front of us? Would it change our, our daily lives? Second one. Go to the community with people. How connected do I feel to others in our church family? That's a really important question, especially in the times we live in. Are these people around me just the stranger next to me? Or am I pressing into some deeper relationships with at least some of them? Because that's what we need, right? What are the primary obstacles I see that keep me from getting closer? Is it fear? Is it my schedule? What is it? What is one thing I could change this year? to increase that connection. Just one thing. Who is newer than me in the Christian walk that I could encourage? So often naturally we think about what do I need, but especially if we've been walking in the faith for a while, we need to have that mindset like Dave early on. Who is it that that I could encourage in their walk? And then 
who is more experienced that I could learn from? Dave's, Dave's going to have a line after I introduced him this morning. Who's more experienced that I could learn from? How can my church family pray for me? Any trials, challenges, victories, or opportunities? And the final one, we talk about commission to the world. Do I believe that God sees every believer as a minister and that He wants to work in and through me? Not just the elders at a church, not just the pastors, all of us who are believers. Peter called us a kingdom of priests in his first book. Do I believe that? Do I know what my spiritual gifts, talents, and passions are? And am I satisfied with how I'm using them in the church or community? Who can I serve in the church or community? Where do I spend time with unbelievers? Work, neighborhood, hobbies, clubs, family, events, sports, school? Who are one to five unbelievers I will pray for to come to know Jesus? How ready am I to share about Jesus or my testimony when the opportunity arises? What if we had a church full of people that kept these questions in mind took them to God's Word and prayer every day and say, Lord, help me to grow in these areas. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's the vision, in short, of the church next door. If you want to review it or copy and paste these questions so you can put them up on your bathroom mirror, go to our website, click on who we are, our vision, it's all there. And if you're going through these areas and you say, man, I'd love to meet with someone about this one or that one, that's what your elders are here for. That's what other folks in the church who've been walking with the Lord are here for. Let's, let's do this together. I think about reminding throughout Scripture. It's, it's a constant thread. Think about Passover in the Old Testament. And when the Jews had to kill that lamb and put the blood on the door frames. Every year they were to eat a lamb and bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of the slavery and the deliverance of the Lord. What a, what a tangible reminder. God put that in there. Why? Because they're human. It would help them remember His deliverance. When they got into the promised land, you remember what they told them to do out of the Jordan River? Take 12 stones and stack them up. That way when your children come and say, what's with these 12 stones? You tell them, God parted the Jordan River so that we could come in here. My dad, when he came to our house one summer, put a pile of 12 stones in my yard and my brother's yard with our children and put Joshua 4 on the top stone. My dad is one who, who wants to pass it on to remember. But Jesus left the church a profound reminder of the ultimate sacrifice at the cross. He left us communion. And after the worship team comes up here, we're going to take that together. I want to invite you to prepare your heart for that moment. Okay, Peter said back in chapter 1, verse 9, whoever is not adding these qualities to his life has become nearsighted and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. I want us to just ponder in our hearts as we sing this next song. Lord, have I forgotten that? Not just up here, but is it still profoundly impacting my day in, day out life? Is it affecting my thoughts, my, my actions? And also, have I received that sacrifice? Have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? You could do that right here this morning. 
This is a remembrance for those who have. So we're going to sing a song and we'll share that together.